You're listening to the best of the Martha Zoller Show. You can hear the show live Monday through Friday from 9 to 11 on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN and streaming at accesswdun.com. You can find all things Martha Zoller at marthazoller.com. Martha Zoller show and gosh it feels a little like Christmas because we're talking to Richard Paul Evans. He is the number one best-selling author of The Christmas Box. We talked to him many years ago in fact in person. He came into the studio when The Christmas Box was out and uh, got the key to the city at that point in time and we're so happy to have him back to talk about his new book A Christmas Memory. Richard Paul Evans thank you so much for being with us today. It made me so happy to see your name on my schedule today. Thank you. Thank you. It's been, you know, and it's like we've gotten old together. <laughs> now we've got our children are growing up or grown up. We've got all kinds of things going on. But this has been, your books have been a tradition in our family uh, to review, to look at. And now I have grandchildren that I'm introducing these books to. So it's a very nice time uh, to get into the Christmas spirit. You know, it's, I actually just got back from Texas. My daughter just got her doctorate. She's a doctor now. And it's like, oh, my gosh, she was a little girl when we started this. <laughs> um, it's, we've come a long way. It's a long way from um, Kinko's, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. In some ways, though, I feel, like, I feel like I've gone back home. I mean, because this book reminds me, I've written 45 New York Times bestselling novels this is definitely one of my favorites, if not my favorite, and it feels like the Christmas box all over again. Well, and tell us about the a Christmas memory. Well, Christmas memory is it's autobiographical. Um, I did sit down and say I was going to write this last year. This time, I was very sick. I caught pneumonia, and um, after three weeks, I mean, I wasn't getting better. I was getting worse and um, close to being hospitalized. And then I caught COVID on top of it, and. Um, I was just very, very sick. And then this book started coming to me. And I wrote it in bed with a notepad. I'm just writing this down and thinking, you know, I had that COVID fog. It's probably awful. And months later, when I started to recover, I started reading it. And and I thought, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever written. Um, I got teary-eyed just even reading it. And so it was about my childhood. When I was nine years old, it was 1967, and... Um, after a huge loss in my family, we picked up, my dad lost his job, and we picked up and moved into an abandoned home in Utah. And it, was, it, was an, it wasn't completely abandoned, it was filled with rats. It was a rat-infested home, it had been vacant for almost three years. And it was, my mother was suffering from severe depression at the time, my dad was just gone. And there was an old man, Mr. Foster, who watched over and took me during this time. So it's a book about compassion. It's a, it's, 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 a, it's a book about hope in the hardest of most difficult of times. Well, because we do have to go on, don't we? I mean, you know, the options are when you have horrible things happen is to, is what do you do next, right? And, and it, it can be if, difficult. I mean, I, the last 10 years for me have been very difficult. I've had, uh, I've lost my brother, my sister, and my mother during that period of time. And I'm sorry. Um, and it was, you know, I was just like, Lord, you know, I know you only give me what I can handle. <laughs> but I had to find the sense of humor in it in that my older sister 
uh, Pam, who's 12 years older than I am, um, she is like the complete opposite of me. She's she's a lot more introverted. She is very different. And I was like saying, Lord, you must have a sense of humor that after all of this, who's left in our family is me and Pam. <laughs> because we were able wow. to move on. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, there's um, especially this time of the year, I think we think a lot about those kind of feelings and, and um, about family and our losses. And so... I think I think one of the reasons this book is doing so well is because it speaks to that. I had a woman come to me and come to a book signing. She said she had just lost her sister, and she bought 14 copies. She said, this book is the first thing that has brought me peace. And so she, um, she was sharing it with all of her family members and siblings and friends, everyone who was mourning at that time. So books are powerful things. You know, they start revolutions. And... Um, this is a book of healing, I think, and it's also just to get you in the Christmas spirit. Well, and also your books especially and are those kinds of books. I mean, I do that same thing. I uh, will buy several copies to give to people because books are still that thing. Even though I do Audible and I listen to podcasts and I read books in a digital form. I mean, I've got books everywhere and I read them in all kinds of forms. There is still nothing that replaces that holding a book in your hand, you know, turning the pages and reading it. There's nothing that replaces that. And I think that's kind of part of the human spirit. We like to touch and feel and see. And in this crazy social media world uh, where people are scrolling on their phones all the time and they're doing all that kind of stuff, you can still bridge the gap with a book. And that's so wonderful. I, I, no, I, I agree. Um, one thing that is different this year, um, have you seen my movie on Netflix? I have not. Did you know about it? I, it, it was Thanksgiving weekend. It was the number one movie in the world on Netflix, and it was called The Noel Diary, starring Justin Hartley of This Is Us and and famed director uh, Charles Shire, who did um, Father of the Bride. But it's massive. It's had more than 70 million viewers. It's in the top 10 in 90 out of 93 countries. And um, New York Times and the LA Times said it was the movie to watch this year. It was the best of all the holiday stories. So uh, a lot of your listeners, because I just got back from book tour, and I can't believe how many people have watched it and how broad. You know, I'm checking into a hotel, and the woman there went crazy and wanted pictures because of the movie. So I learned firsthand the power of Netflix. Um, but this, um, I've already had a movie offer on my new book, A Christmas Memory. And um, I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm, well, you know, the whole Christmas movie thing, you know, has really taken off because I do think Christmas is like a reset. It's a reset for the year. It kind of gets you back. You, you know, whether you uh, do New Year's resolutions or not, it's a reset where you get back to where you need to be, hopefully, and start over. And you've seen that kind of reflected in all the different kind of Christmas movies. But I just I just looked it up on Netflix and I put it on my list. I'm going to watch it tonight. I'm going to watch it tonight. Because I've got a young lady, I've got a young lady from Sweden staying with me who's on an exchange. And so we're trying to find great things to watch together. So we're going to watch that tonight. Actually, Sweden, Sweden it was one of the countries that did best, did better in Sweden than it did in America. It was number one in Sweden. Wow. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, that's, I, it's interesting because my mother was Swedish. So I, I checked to see how it was doing in Sweden. It's like, oh, my gosh, it's been number one every single week. So, well, they probably claim um, you because your mother was Swedish. They probably say Richard Paul Evans is a Swedish author. 
I don't, I don't think they know that, but <laughs> anyway, no, it's, no, it's, it's been such a fun season and the movie, when you see it, um, I mean, I'm hearing from old high school friends. I can't, I just can't believe how ubiquitous it is. I've been flooded, just flooded by, by people coming from my past and just everyone has seen the movie. I mean, if it's 75 million people, it means like one out of three adults in America have seen it. I mean, it's just, that, that's just in the U.S., 75 million. So it's, um, it's, these numbers are insane. And so I think my new book, A Christmas Memory, I think it will be an even better movie. I, I think you, the story behind it is more powerful. Do you like the movie process? Because you've, you've, several of your books have been made into movies. Eight of them. Eight of them have been. But this is my first feature film. So this is the first big budget. Um, and to have actors, on, you know, an actor on the level of, of, um, of, of Justin Hartley, who I now realize is the most handsome man in America. I mean, women swooned every time I say his name. Um, <laughs> this, is, this process has been wonderful. I, I've really enjoyed working with Netflix. I did have one movie I did enjoy at all. In fact, I never watched the movie. The producer called me and said they've slaughtered it. They, they, made, it, they made it woke. Um, they rewrote it, and um, I said, "Why did they? Why did they even buy it when they just wrote their own movie?" Um, and he just said it was just horrible. And I said, "Well, they wrote the check, right?" He goes, "Yeah, they wrote the check." So, um, but this one is a whole different experience. The screenwriter contacted me personally before uh, the movie was produced, um, or even before the script was produced. They respected the the book. And um, Carrie and I got to go to a Hollywood uh, red carpet event, which you, I, I always thought would be kind of a dream, and it actually was wonderful. It was really sweet, and um, so it's been a really great. It's been a great year. Well, the book is a Christmas Mer- memory by Richard Paul Evans, and um, you know the thing that has been great about this journey I think for you is not only have you written all these books that people stop you in airports and do all that kind of stuff but you've also founded the Christmas Box International Mm. which is an organization that provides shelters and aid for abused and neglected children and that wouldn't have happened without the Christmas Box No and I love love that as I get older um, you know there's things I can see where my life is going I am now very involved every single day with the Christmas Box House. We have housed more than 135,000 children. That's enough to fill Madison Square Garden six times. And this time of the year, we provide Christmas for about 2,500 abused children. And it's, um, it is so much fun. It is so much fun. I just, I just love it. I, in fact, as soon as I finish my interviews today, I have 22 radio interviews today. When I finish, I'm going down to the Christmas box house and watch them bring people bring presents in and we distribute them and we make sure that kids are protected and defended and honored. And uh, I just love it. It just does my heart good. So we had a caller that texted or a texter that texted in and said, where can you watch the Christmas box movie? The one uh, that was made about the Christmas box. Now I'm looking it up and it's obviously on Amazon and those other kind of streamings. Is it available pretty much everywhere? I honestly don't know. Okay. Um, I, well, I it's, on it's on Amazon. <laughs> it's on Amazon. Oh, good. Thanks for telling me. It's, uh, next year is a 30. Can you believe this? It's the 30-year anniversary. They, they've already contacted me. They're working on a 30-year anniversary edition of the Christmas box. Um, wow. So, you know, time marches on. I just time got, does march I just, on. I just, got, I just got back from Texas. My I, We have the first doctor in our family. My daughter just graduated from TCU. And um, I'm just really... 
it's it's like wow she was a little girl when i wrote the christmas box she was three years old when i wrote the book for her that is so amazing that is so amazing richard paul evans i know the book's available everywhere people can get it and i know you've got 22 interviews today so we want to make sure that you can get to all of those but it's so great to talk to you again it was one of the real highlights of my career to meet you when you came to gainesville those many years ago and and it's one of the things you remember and it's one of the best things about what i do is i get to meet people like you thank you Thank you, Martha. Merry Christmas. It's where North Georgia comes to talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. It is the Martha Zoller Show. There's so much going on, but it is the season when we get the opportunity to talk about some things that are really important. And uh, On the Road Lending is one of those things. It's a Dallas-based nonprofit. Uh, and uh, founder and CEO Michelle Corson is joining us right now. Michelle, how you doing? Merry Christmas. Hey. Hi, Martha. Merry Christmas to you, too. So tell us about On the Road Lending. Well, thanks for having me on and giving me a chance to talk about it. It's an important initiative that we have uh, throughout the United States. The majority of us, about 97% of us trying to get to and from our jobs, do that using personal transportation. We have our own cars. Uh, mass transit is something that doesn't work for most people, and I'm sure that those of your listeners who are in Atlanta know that it's it's very difficult to make MARTA work as your primary form of transportation, getting your kids to and from school, getting yourself to work, buying groceries, seeing the doctor. Uh, all of those things are very difficult. So having a car is really an important part of personal freedom. And on-the-road lending helps people to achieve that by providing an alternative to the guy on the corner that we in Texas call the tote the note lot uh, that charges a high interest rate on a bad car with a bad loan. Well, you know, it's interesting because we do live about, uh, we're about an hour north of Atlanta, and so we're in a little more rural area, and even in that area, it's even more important uh, to have your own automobile. And there's, you know, there are local businesses here that, uh, this is what they do every year, is they they get a car, they fix up a car and donate it to someone who is really in need. Uh, but you're right, it does change the life of someone because especially in if you live outside of the metro Atlanta area, you've got to get around by automobile. And you absolutely that's, do. Yes, it's the only way you can be a part of the economy is to have your own car. Right. You're absolutely right. And so much of America is that way. We're really blessed, you know, with such a large land area, and it's very difficult to make anything other than a personal car work for your your transportation needs. And for people outside of the metropolitan area, oftentimes that's the, the difference between working and not working. No, absolutely. So how does on the road lending work? We uh, are able to do everything online. Um, Since our clients are transportation challenged, we're not asking them to come sit across the table from us anywhere. We're serving 10 states. Anyone that's interested in getting a car loan goes onto our website to apply. Everything is done virtually, and we do it the way that it was done in the old days when your banker actually knew you and knew that you were a good risk. We take a little bit of time. It's not a massive commitment um, to just get to know the people that we're making a loan to. And we don't use credit scores. We do uh, capture that information because we want to track how much our 
clients are uh, growing in that regard, getting getting financially stronger. Uh, but we are making them a car loan, so they do have to be working. This is not a car donation. We're giving people the dignity of paying their own way. They're just paying for it with a lower interest rate than they would be with someone else. And more importantly, they're, they're getting a car that's really good. It's a myth that a low-income person cannot afford their own car. And it is also a myth that an electric vehicle is the only option that works for people. Uh, fuel-efficient, newer internal combustion engines are 35% less emitting than an older car was. So we're helping the environment as well by getting people into just decent transportation. Well, and I think what you bring up is really important because people like to talk about the divide in this country is between left and right or whatever it is. But I think there is a much bigger divide between, with all due respect, because I'm a pretty well-educated person, but a well-educated person that's in the policy world versus people that are on the ground trying to make a living every day. And yeah, it's great to say we should get electric cars. My husband and I have even talked about, well, you know, our next car, we probably ought to think about a hybrid because we live in a rural area. I don't want to have a straight electric car. I would rather have a hybrid. We need to think about that. We can make that decision. But what what's happening in the real world on the ground is that the average person that's working an average job that is maybe just starting out or maybe they're re-entering the workforce or maybe they haven't worked in a while they are in a they don't think about things in the way that maybe i can buy a 65 or seventy thousand dollar electric car they are thinking about it in a way how am i going to get a car that i can not only afford and have some money left over to pay for rent and gas and and utilities and all of that on top of that and maybe further my career on top of that Yes, absolutely. And I think a lot of the movement towards we've got to have everything be electric vehicles only um, is does a disservice to the low to moderate income uh, family there. I believe with the scarcity of raw materials that go into the batteries that the cost of electric vehicles is actually going to go up, not go down. Um, and they're largely not uh, affordable at this time for working families. But a good internal combustion engine is and we um you know we believe that if we can get someone into a car that's two to three years old that's what we're looking to do uh then the car can have a warranty so that someone does not find themselves in that situation where they have to choose between paying a two thousand dollar transmission repair bill or making their car payment they don't find themselves in that situation and they can get a nice car most of our cars are you know, a two-year-old Camry, Corolla, a Nissan Altima, a Honda, we do a lot of that. We've done a lot of General Motors um, and Ford American-made cars as well. Um, and it's amazing, you know, um, having a, a nicer, newer car that's safe and reliable is so important and so much better for somebody than uh, actually going in and um, trying to buy a cash car where, you know, they're taking all of their savings and putting it towards some old junker that's uh, beaten down. We're talking to Michelle Corson from uh, On the Road Lending. And I think the other part you brought up, which I thought was very good, is that you mentioned about the difficulty in getting the battery, uh, the components to make the battery, and you think prices are going to go up. But the thing that's kind of the dirty little secret about electric cars, and I am not anti-electric cars, they're a lot heavier than... 
the road that traditional uh, internal combustion engine cars. So they're not paying the road tax yet, but they are causing a lot more problems on the roads because of the heaviness of the vehicles. So it's it's something. Look, I I think innovation. I mean is important and we've got we're going to get there at some point in time but right now the people you're dealing with they just need to get to work and and i believe in the american dream that if you can get that that leg up you can get that step where you can get a job and you do good work and you commit to your job you're going to do better every year and then all a lot of other things are going to open up to you Absolutely. And Martha, the thing that a lot of people don't know is that the number one reason that people lose their jobs is because they can't get there reliably. Um, And the other thing that I think is often overlooked uh, is that by having personal transportation, you can access a much better job. Um, I'm based in Dallas, Texas, and we've made loans to people who tripled their income just as a function of being able to drive to the next county and take a better job. And that's meaningful. And saving on interest expense and um, maintenance costs and a lot of the fees and things that go into uh, buying a car from the subprime typical subprime lender, uh, we are able to help people to build wealth of about $20,000 over the life of the ownership of their car. Um, And so that's real intergenerational poverty change. We're able to help people build prosperity and that is our goal it's it's not really about overcoming poverty because we're we're dealing with people that work it's about building prosperity and you talk about the american dream and that's what it's all about the dignity that comes from working and paying your own way and building a life that's productive it's very hard to do that without transportation so michelle tell folks how they can find out more they need to go to ontheroadlending.org, O-R-G, uh, and they can find out all about on-the-road lending and how to apply there. Uh, if they want to know about some of our other initiatives, we've got six companies built around transportation. They can go to ontheroadcompanies.com. Uh, In addition to our lending company, we have a collision company. We do uh, paint and body work, and we're having apprenticeships where people can be trained in advanced automotive technology. That's On the Road Garage. We have a car dealership, On the Road Motors, um, On the Road Sustainability Funds, and a couple of other businesses. So um, that's ontheroadcompanies.com. Michelle Corson, thank you so much for being with us today. It's On the Road Lending. Thank you, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Martha. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. It's local radio, and that's why you're listening. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. Senator Steve Gooch is here with me today from Dahlonega. And, of course, uh, Steve, welcome back to the program. Merry Christmas. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. I'm actually walking into the state capitol, so I'm climbing all these steps. So I may sound like I'm out of breath. Okay, well, that's good. I know you're not. You're fine. Uh, I tell you what, this is going to be a very different session, right? There's a lot of new players. There's a lot of people that are in different positions. So it's there's a bit of a bit of some unknowns, right? A lot of unknowns. A lot of new faces. New leadership roles. A lot of personalities, egos, and, um, yeah, it's sort of like the Wild West down here right now. People jockeying around for position, moving into new offices, and so uh, 
lot of a uh, lot of things yet to be settled. So uh, we're going to start the process uh, week after New Year's, and we'll be working, you know, as hard as we can for the next three or four months. What do you see as unfinished business from the last session that for you personally or that you just see on the horizon? Well, you know, every two years we start a new session. And so the legislation that did not pass last year is technically dead. So anybody that did not get a bill passed that that wanted it to pass would have to reintroduce it this year as as new which is no big deal. I mean, it just has to go through that committee process again. But, you know, we've got a lot of good things going on at the Capitol. Uh, of course, we have a strong economy, even though we're we're beginning to see the signs of a, a modest or mild recession. We have strong revenues. Our fun, uh, rainy day funds are in excess of $6 billion. So I think you're going to see a, an effort by the Senate and the House and the governor to return a lot of that money to the taxpayers through income tax reductions and some property tax relief as well. So that's going to be good news this year. <clears throat> and I think you're going to see a crackdown on some more crime. We're, we're seeing a lot of homicides in Atlanta, a lot of crime, breaking and enterings, a lot of just random thefts on the streets of, of Atlanta, the city of Atlanta in particular. And so I think you're going to see a renewed effort and an emphasis on trying to crack down on some of that this this session as well. So, um, so Steve, what you are well known for and have been since you've been serving, um, and even as far back as being a county commissioner uh, when you did that, is you're a guy that shows up. You go to basically anywhere <coughs> you're asked to go. You are a person that people don't have to look for. I mean, that's always been the kind of legislator and representative you have been. Um, what is going to be your, let people know what your new job is, kind of in addition to representing the people of your district for this session, but also how you keep that up. Because, you know, it's it's a very difficult thing to do, and I'm, I'm quite impressed that you are still always where you're supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, my wife asked me recently, she's like, are we still making money? <laughs> and she's referring to me not being at home very much at our at our business. We have a small business there in Dahlonega. And so I was selected majority leader recently by the majority caucus in the Senate. And so the majority leader is the top-ranking Republican in the state Senate now. And so I just took over that role two, three weeks ago. And ever since then, I've just been completely inundated with calls, emails, and, you know, trying to learn the new responsibilities. And once we get in the session, I'll be down here for the full three months during the week. So that's not going to be a lot different. But um, <clears throat> it's going to be a lot different for me because I'm taking on additional responsibilities of overseeing the, the agenda of the Senate and the responsibilities of the Senate, interacting with the House leadership, interacting with the governor and, of course, the new lieutenant governor. And so I look forward to those new challenges. But my first priority, as always, is my district and the seven counties that I represent in North Georgia. So do you see, I mean, what do you, I mean, I guess, have you had an office in the Capitol already? You're definitely going to have I one have, now. Yeah, I've been, yeah. Uh, I've been in the leadership for eight years upstairs on the fourth floor. My new office is literally across the hall from the lieutenant governor on the second floor. 
next to the rotunda. So I'll be, you know, more, more or less on the on the main floor of the governor's office and the lieutenant governor's office. Great, great. That's good to know because I just think there's such a huge challenge um, uh, that we're going to have. Because first of all, we've got plenty of money, okay, and that's a good thing. But as you mentioned, we're we see this kind of soft recession that we're coming into, so we don't want to. Uh, Obviously, the spending starts on the House side, but we don't want to make decisions that uh, are going to impact us negatively from an economic standpoint. Uh, So, you know, I think there's going to be this is going to be an interesting session to watch. I say all that to mean that that it's going to be really interesting because it's different. It is. And, you know, we've done a good job with the state's business for the last 20 years. The Republicans have been in control, starting with uh, Sonny Perdue and then, of course, um, Nathan Dill was there for eight years, and now Governor Kemp, he begins his second term in January. And we're going to miss some of that leadership we've had from North Georgia. We've lost Speaker David Ralston. Uh, of course, Governor Dill retired after two terms. Uh, Butch Miller is no longer going to be in the Senate. Casey Cagle is no longer down here. He was in, in power for many, many years. So a lot of the power we had for decades was centered in North Georgia, and we've lost that. And so I'm glad that I was able to get elected to the majority leader's position. At least I'll be able to help pull some of that, that attention back to North Georgia going forward. Well, and it's also from a population standpoint, we're growing. We have, you know, from, a, you know, I know you do what's best for the people of Georgia, but from a Republican Party standpoint, the ninth Congressional District has uh, either the largest or the second largest number of, of um, Republican voters. Uh, and certainly, you know, it's it's one of those things that you have to be aware of. Now, we know that we've got a couple of controversial things that could pop their head up. We've got the heartbeat bill in the courts, and I'm sure that y'all are watching that very closely. And there always is some sort of bill, whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's going to be gambling or it's going to be, uh, you know, religious freedom or whatever it is. There's some sort of social issue that pops up that we don't expect. Do you have any idea what that's going to be? There's a, there's a lot of attention being placed on what the courts are going to do with the heartbeat bill. I believe the General Assembly is willing to sit by and watch that play out through the courts. We believe strongly that our bill will will stand the test of the court system. And so there's no need at this point in time to reintroduce that legislation. We believe it's going to come through in, in our favor. Um, as far as gambling, there are a, a good many lobbyists already walk, walk in the halls, setting up meetings with legislators to talk about sports betting, casino gambling, and horse racing. Uh, not that all three of those would be on one, you know, single uh, piece of legislation, but I think you could see multiple bills this year pertaining to all three of those topics. Um, so, yeah, there's <clears throat> there's a, there's no idea at this point in time what some of the members of the House and the Senate are going to be working on. The leadership will be having press conferences in the beginning of the year to where we'll roll out our agenda and we'll have a you know a better idea at that point in time where we're going to spend our time this session and not let some of these other things distract us from our duties down here at the Capitol. 
Well, and one thing that I worked on last year when I was helping the Georgia Life Alliance out, <coughs> as well as something I think is, is very important, is uh, Senate Bill 456, which was last year. It, it needs to be reintroduced, but uh, what it did was... Um, made sure that if you were going to get the abortion cocktail, the the, the chemical abortion, that you saw a doctor. And uh, that's the way it was before COVID. Uh, for some reason, the Biden administration, uh, when they reinstated everything else that they had taken away from having in-person visits because of COVID, they they pulled this out separately and still made it to where you could have telemedicine visits. And, you know, the only thing, and this is how I win Democrats over on this issue, even Planned Parenthood says when they give the chemical abortion that you have to come back the next day for them to check you out because you need to be seen in person for that. I think it's a reasonable bill. I think it's something that that is in, in the best uh interest of the health of of a woman uh and so hopefully we'll see that come to pass again and it came very close last session so hopefully it'll pass this session yeah and i'm i'm sure you'll have a strong interest in that bill down here as well so we look forward to working with you and your organization on that well thank you very much i am no longer the executive director of georgia life alliance but i helped them out during a very mm. important time uh but we okay. are going to be announcing a new one very soon that you're going to like wow. uh, a lot well, so, great I yeah look forward to it's going to be great steve gooch yeah. i appreciate very much you being with us today i appreciate all the time you've given and i wasn't i meant every word i say what i love about you and the way you serve is that you're always available well i'll take it seriously Uh, we don't do it for the money obviously but i love serving and i love helping people uh when you know it's the proper role of government to to get involved that's when i like to to get in and help folks so uh, thank you for that opportunity to be on your show this morning and uh, for all your listeners please reach out and uh, communicate with us through email or phone calls we're uh, we're here to help you anytime Steve Gooch, thanks for being with me today. Have a good day. To hear the full versions of last week's Martha Zoller shows, go to the podcast page at accesswdun.com, and you can follow me on social media at Martha Zoller.